Welcome. If you are a visitor today, welcome. We're really excited for y'all to be here. Um, there should be a sign-up list for any information, right, on this left, this right table by the coffee. Um, if you want some emails about our small groups, when they are, and things like that, go ahead and sign up. But yeah, we're excited that y'all are here. Our next announcement is our service Sunday on a Saturday. There we go. Okay, perfect. So when, October 13th at 10.30 a.m., we will meet at Rivas Elementary School. It's the one by the MLK um, Center that we always meet at. Um, but yeah, so we'll be going around the neighborhood, knocking on people's door, picking up trash. Um, this will be our, like, eighth time doing this. Um, but... Rivera. Rivera. Yeah, okay. Rivera Elementary School. Um, but yeah, so October 13th at 10.30 a.m. So instead of church, we will be doing this. So don't come here on that Sunday and come out on Saturday. Okay, next one. Hang out at Harvest House. So October 7th at 3 p.m. This is for all our non-college students, adults. Um, if you have any friends you're wanting to introduce to our community, um, it's just a, a good opportunity to bring them in and meet people in a, in a non-churchy type of way. Um, so yeah, so invite them and come. We'll have board games and just hang out. It'll be really fun. And then finally, our small groups. So our small groups, this is a list of them. We have a Monday one, two Tuesday ones, and two Wednesday ones. And um, if you need any more information, this is actually for a, our adults, our young adults, our all our adults um, that aren't in college, our non-college adults. Um, so yeah, sorry, that was confusing. Um, our non-college adults, if you need somebody to partner you up with that and get more information, just ask any of us and we should be able to direct you to the right person. Cool, I think that's it. Thanks, and also the offering, we'll pass the offering around and um, go across the aisles. So David to Mateo. <laughs> Tyrus to Kirk. So go across, and then when you hit the end, go back, and then across again. Thanks. Good morning. Yeah. yeah. I need help with my sermon this morning, so anyway, just kidding, I'm, I'm not going to be preaching. This is going to be a uh, kind of a fun, um, fun, kind of fun, make it fun. So uh, kind of a exciting new chapter in our life, of our church life, and we're glad you're here this morning. We have some special guests here this morning, and we're thankful for you here. Uh, we, this tradition has been actually going on for thousands of years, but... Uh, we started this tradition about 21 years ago at the Northeast Church, which is a sister church to us in Garland, and it, it was an opportunity for us to dedicate our babies and our children to God. And so today we're we're excited. Are you excited? Yeah. That that we have uh, we have children that we are going to be dedicating to God. So it's 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 that's been a. A vision of mine for a few years now here at this church is to come in and have children here. And so being the uh, former children's minister at Garland for all those years, it is exciting to me to do that. And Tong and Autumn, have uh, they're up here um, 
because I wanted you to kind of get a, a, a visual. They are someone that, uh, they are a couple that has wanted to help with the kids, and so they are going to be taking some of these roles on as we move forward to uh, work with our children as they grow up. And so today is going to be about dedicating our kids to the Lord. So with that said, in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk among the, along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It is an awesome task to bring children up to love and obey God so that they will carry on our Christian heritage once they leave our homes. The Denton North Church is dedicated to helping families fulfill their responsibilities. We are so serious about this commitment that we believe it is appropriate to continue this tradition of presenting our children to the Lord. What I would, um, we will now have the parents come to the stage. So, Brandy and Kevin and Britt, and we're going to let them introduce themselves in case you don't know them and um, announce their child. So, if y'all come up. Uh, to the microphone here. Brandy, why don't you go ahead and go first, and then Kevin and Brett. I was just to say I'm not that short, but apparently I am. <laughs> my name is Brandy, and this is my 16-month-old, Julia Renee. But apparently she's too interested. See, see everybody? Yeah, she's not going to work today, sorry. (laughs) And I'm Brittany, and this is Kevin, and this is our almost six-month-old Willow. Let's give them a hand. (laughs) We're glad. Good job. Once again, we thank God for children in our facility. The first three chapters, y'all go ahead and stay up here, yeah. I'm going to grill you here in a minute. So anyway, (laughs) the first three chapters of the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel relate the circumstances surrounding the birth, dedication, and calling by God of Samuel. In Samuel 1, 27 and 28, Hannah says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. In Luke 2, 22... Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. In view of these biblical principles, if it is your intention, parents, to present your baby to the Lord, please answer we do to the following pledges and promises. Do you recognize this child as a gift from God and thank him for this blessing? Do you this day dedicate this child to the Lord? Do you pledge as parents to bring up this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you desire the members of this congregation, this our church, to help you in discouraging your or hello, not discouraging. To help, <laughs> no, we don't want to discourage. Rewind. Do you desire the members of this congregation to help you in discharging your sacred responsibilities for this precious life? All right, church, here's your job. Stand up. All right. We need you 
church body to respond with we do also if you um, agree. As the Denton North family, do you promise God, these parents, and the children to participate in training them in the ways of the Lord? Do you commit to personally walk in God's way in order to be a living model of God's word? Do you commit to support and encourage the parents to follow God's design for family and child rearing? Finally, do you commit to demonstrate to these children the love and discipline of Jesus Christ? All right, at this point, Don, one of our shepherds, is going to um, come over to the family, and he's going to be praying over them. So, actually, better yet, you might want to need the microphone. Yeah, that would probably be better. What I would like our church body to do, if you, if you would like to, to just reach out a hand towards the families as we pray over them. God, we thank you so much for blessing us as a church family with these two beautiful children. Thank you for Julia and Willa, and uh, thank you for the responsibility you've given to us as a family to share in this responsibility. Uh, We just lift them up, their parents, their families, uh, and we just, we know that you're going to bless us uh, with some more families as time comes. Uh, We thank you for that, but right now we thank you for what you've blessed us with, and just continue to help us be that encouragement, that smile that source of joy and happiness that we can uh, lighten their lives and point them to Jesus in all that we do. Uh, thank you for this opportunity as a family to, to come together and, and take charge and to be willing to submit ourselves to this responsibility. Uh, just continue to, uh, to help us see that responsibility and not forget it. Uh, so right now we just continue to for, ask for your blessings uh, help us to uh, go forth today with this, this lesson and help us to listen, but with our lives. Help us to, to see the smile of children and to see the joy of children and live that joy in our lives as well. We pray all this through Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's give our families a hand again. Yay! So I feel really insignificant after that. I'm like, how do I compete with that? I think there is none. And my name is Leslie Rowe, and I'm one of the ministers here at Denton North. Um, I love what I get to do. I love being with this church family every week. Um, If you are a parent in the audience, I love being with your child. Um, I love um, everything I get to do. And it's such a blessing in my life. Um, It may have taken you by surprise this morning, the commitment that you were asked to make to Brandy and to Kevin and Brittany and to their children, but I think that God gives us these pushes along the way to help us grow in our faith and in the way that we live our lives, and this is one of them. And so the commitment you made to love those two little girls like Jesus loves to be an example of what it looks like to live for him, those are big, big commitments. And I want you, if you haven't already kind of thought through that, if you kind of went, ooh, whoa, wait a minute, that's a lot. I want you to really think through that this week. Like, what does that really mean? What does that really look like? Um, But these two little girls and their families need you to understand 
that the commitment you made is a big one. Um, and it's so exciting to have kids to dedicate here at Denton North. Um, we love children and we've wanted children here. Um, and it's just exciting to see that we're growing in that way from the ground up. And so I would just encourage you to be in prayer for the two little girls, to be in prayer for their families, and just to be in prayer about what it looks like for you to fulfill the commitment that you made this morning. So if you haven't been here, um, our sermon series right now requires just a little bit of explanation. It's called The Gospel in Stories and Images, and it's probably different than any sermon you've sat through before. Because what we're doing is going through the book of Luke, we see that Jesus told a lot of stories. We see that a lot of stories were told about Jesus. And the Bible as a whole is the story of our faith, the story of the good news. And so what we're trying to do as a church this semester is read through those stories and then tell our own stories that reflect that message. And so this morning, um, I'm going to be doing that with a passage out of Luke. And so I want to give a few, um, I don't know, not disclaimers, but just a few pieces of information about the story I'm going to tell. So the first one is, this one is a little churchy. When you tell a story, you have to draw on your background, your experiences, the experience of people you know, the things that you have studied and come to know about. So it might be historical things, it might be personal things, it might be somebody else's personal experiences. If you're a professional storyteller, you do a lot of research so that you have a big area to draw from when you tell a story. I am not a professional storyteller, so I don't have as big of an area to draw from, and so that's why I say that today's story is a little churchier. The second thing is don't try to figure out who I'm talking about, because I based my story on a bunch of different stories. So when I get to talking, you may think, oh, I know who that's based on. But you don't, because it's not one person. (laughs) And to help with that, I made up names. And I tried to make up names that wouldn't be distracting. I tried to make up names that were people you wouldn't know so that you wouldn't be thinking of a certain person. And then the third thing is, after the last story I told, I (laughs) had some people say, I didn't know you used to be a dietitian. (laughs) And I was like, no, no. I am not a dietitian. Um, I am telling a story I have found that I like first person, that that is where I'm most at home in storytelling. And so I'm going to tell you that the story I tell today is also in first person, and it has nothing to do with me. So, So here we go. This is out of Luke 9. 18 through 26. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? So he started out by asking them about other people. Like, how do other people perceive me? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. 
But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? So right there, he gets more personal. Okay, you've told me what other people think. What do you think? What do you believe? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. See, after Peter says that Jesus is God's Messiah, Jesus tells the disciples what this means. He was not the kind of Messiah they were expecting. We've talked about this a lot. They were expecting a powerful, political Messiah who would put everyone in their place. Jesus was letting them know that that perception or belief about Messiah was distorted. It was not who Messiah really was. It was not who Jesus really was. It was a Messiah of their own making. And they had to choose to embrace and follow who the Messiah truly was. And so then Jesus does this really interesting thing, and he calls whoever wants to follow them. He says, to any of you that wants to follow me, you're going to have to do the same thing that I just described to you that I'm going to do. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So it was bad enough for the disciples to hear that Jesus would suffer, be rejected, and die on a cross. But now he tells them, and he tells us, you must do the same thing. Everybody there knew what Jesus meant, when he said, take up his cross. Everyone knew that the cross was an unrelenting instrument of death. The cross wasn't about religious ceremonies. It wasn't about traditions. It wasn't about spiritual feelings. The cross was one thing and one thing only to those people listening to him. It was to execute people. That's what it was for. Taking up your cross wasn't a journey, it was a one-way trip. There was no return ticket. It was never a round trip. Jesus makes deny himself equal to take up the cross. And the two phrases express the same idea. The cross wasn't about self-promotion, it wasn't about self-affirmation. The person that was carrying their cross knew they couldn't save themselves, and they knew their self was destined to die. And denying yourself means that you get up every day and execute self. You execute your wants, your rights, your idea of how life should be, your idea of who Jesus should be, what you want to do with your time, You execute self and live like Jesus as an others-centered person, not a self-centered 
person. And so this is where the story starts, and I'm telling it from three different perspectives. So I'm going to start with the father. What a waste. A waste of talent, money, time, intellect. He is throwing his life away. When Antonio, or Tony as we call him, was born, I had such big plans for him. I wanted him to have more than I had. I didn't want him to struggle and live paycheck to paycheck the way his mom and I had. I worked many hours to make sure he had what he needed to get a good education so that he could have a lucrative career. Yes, I was hard on him about studying, about making top grades, but it was also he could reap the benefits of success. I demanded he be the best in his class. Others sometimes told me I was pushing him too hard, but they didn't understand what he was capable of. He was so bright and so intelligent, and the potential Tony had was mind-blowing, and it was my job to make sure he reached his full potential. It was all going according to plan until he got involved in church after his senior year in high school. How did that even happen? It had taken me by surprise, or I never would have allowed it. A friend asked him to go to church camp. They were going to Colorado. It sounded like they would be doing a lot of fun things. I thought it would be a good idea to give him a break before college. It was one week. What harm could it do? Well, it did a lot of harm. He came back, and all he could talk about was Jesus and church and his new friends and his youth worker. He wanted to participate in everything, and it took a lot of time. Time he should have been getting a jump on the year ahead. He started studying the Bible with his youth worker and became a Christian, or a disciple as he called himself. He became less and less interested in the plan that I had spent his whole life putting in place. His new plan is to become a youth worker and work with teens at his church. When he told me, I couldn't help but laugh. What a waste. The second perspective is a teen. This was the best day of my life. Well, actually, it started out terrible. I just got back from teen camp, and what a week that had been. I'd never thought much about Jesus. I only went to camp because a friend invited me. Never did I expect to get anything out of it other than having a good time. Before I went, I was pretty exhausted and worn out from trying to get everyone to like me, trying to be the best at everything. I thought it made me feel valuable, but as I look back, it just made me feel alone. I was so alone. People didn't really know me. They knew who I put out there as me, but I was afraid if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me, and that scared me to death. At camp, I met people that really cared about me, and they introduced me to a God that they said loved me just like I am, who I really am. So for the first time in a long time, I took a chance, and I shared who I really was. And people seemed to accept that. They seemed to like me. I made a commitment that when I got back, I would get to know this God that seemed so real at camp. But I had no idea how to do that. I met a youth worker at camp. His name is Tony. He offered to study the Bible with me and help me get to know Jesus when we got back. So we set up a meeting for Saturday. But when we got back, all the same things were pulling at me. I was so confused. 
My friends from school kept calling and asking if I would be at the party Saturday. After a few of those calls, I couldn't remember why I was saying no, so I said I would be there. I canceled my study with Tony because I didn't want him to know about my decision. I spent the whole weekend partying with my friends, and I did a lot of things that I'm not very proud of. Afterwards, I remembered the God I had met at camp and my commitment to get to know him, and I felt ashamed for so quickly turning away from it. What was wrong with me? The only thing I knew to do was ask Tony if we could talk. I really expected him to say no, since I had canceled on him a couple of days ago, but he surprised me and said he would be happy to. It would just have to be early because he had work. I woke up this morning feeling discouraged and weighed down. I felt like such a failure and was pretty sure I just needed to give up on the whole God thing because I sure wasn't good enough. That's what I meant when I said my day started out terrible. When I met with Tony, he asked me what was going on, and I explained what had happened over the weekend. He told me that he understood my struggle and that he had experienced the same thing. Wow, that wasn't the response I had expected, and I definitely didn't expect what happened next. I told him that I didn't know what to do next and that I really felt like I should probably just give up. Then he said the craziest thing. Why don't I see if I can go in to work late and we can hang out and talk about what your next step should be? I couldn't believe it. No one had ever offered to do something like that for me. I had never felt that important, maybe loved, before. This was the best day of my life. And then the third perspective is the youth worker. What a waste. A waste of talent, money, time, intellect, a waste of life. Funny, after all these years, my father's voice still rings in my mind. My father has always had big plans for me. He wanted me to be successful, to have what he never had. That meant working night and day to get the best grades in school so I could be top in my class, get into a prestigious college, earn a degree that would lead to a high-paying job so I could have a nice house, nice cars, the respect of people, be in control of my own life. You know the deal. My father didn't want me to struggle like he and my mom had. Because of the plan, my father was a hard man. I've come to realize that he loved me in his own way, but it didn't feel like it at the time. My life revolved around the plan. He demanded I be the best at everything. He said many times, it would be criminal to waste the talent and intelligence you have. My father saw this as the only way for me to be successful, the only way for me to be successful. And being successful, by his definition, was the only way to be happy in life. Happy. How ironic. I wasn't happy. My father's plan almost destroyed me. By my senior year in high school, I was exhausted. No matter how well I did, it was never good enough. I was so worn out from trying to be the, grade, be the best. And it wasn't just grades. I had to excel at everything. Otherwise, I had no value. At least that's what I thought. I had to be the most popular, best-looking, have the nicest things, and be the best at anything and everything I did. 
I desperately wanted, to peop- wanted people to know who I was on the inside. But at the same time, I was terrified they would reject me if they found out who I really was, if they found out I wasn't the best. My own dad didn't seem to value me apart from my success, so why would anyone else? So I continued the charade. I was the life of the party, and then I would drink until I passed out. At least then, I didn't have to feel anything. And what was my father's response to this partying? He was angry that I was jeopardizing the plan, the precious plan. But what about me? Was I worth anything? I was miserable. I saw no purpose in life, and I felt so lost. But that all changed when I met Jesus at a teen camp and decided to give my life to him. Yes, I know it sounds cliche, but it's the truth. Jesus brought me purpose, safety, and unconditional love and acceptance that I was so desperate for. It wasn't easy for me to change my lifestyle, and it didn't happen overnight. But the church community that I became a part of loved me so well through all of my struggles and failures. Many people invested endless time in me, bringing me into their lives and teaching me so much about what being successful really means. They sacrificed a lot for me, and it saved my life. Because of the impact teen camp had on my life, I decided to become a youth worker. I want to invest in teens and help them get to know Jesus just like people did for me. My father saw this as a threat to the plan. My father saw this as a waste of my life. Teen camp is really important to me, and I try not to miss, ever. I started a new job a few months before teen camp this year, so I didn't have enough PTO to be able to go. I talked to my boss, and he agreed to give me the week off, unpaid. Because I'm getting married in a few months, not getting paid for a week is a deal. But missing teen camp is not an option, and it's totally worth the missing income to go. While there, I met Jackson, a guy that reminded me a lot of myself at that age. Jackson met Jesus for the first time, and it rocked his world. He came back from camp determined to make changes and let Jesus lead his life, but the real world slapped him in the face hard when he returned. When he came back so de- what he came back so determined to do seemed to disappear a little each day as he had to deal with the reality of the friends in his life, his job, and the choices he'd been making before camp. I knew I needed to meet up with him quickly after returning or he would disappear. I wanted to encourage him not to give up, and I wanted to start a study with him so he could really get to know Jesus for himself. So we set up a study for Saturday afternoon at 1. At noon, he canceled on me. I had done the same thing, so I wasn't surprised or discouraged when it happened. I would keep trying. Then Monday night, around 11, Jackson asked if we could meet Tuesday. He said it was really important. I told him I had to be to work at 9, so we would need to meet at 7, and he agreed to that. Why is it that people always need things late at night or early in the morning? (laughs) When we met up, Jackson was so discouraged. He told me he had partied all weekend and done things he thought he would never do again. 
He said everything seemed so hard, and this was not at all what he had expected. And my heart just broke for him. I recognized the hopelessness that was settling in, and I knew I had to do something to help him move past it, or it would consume him. And as much as I didn't want to take off more unpaid time, I knew I needed to spend time with him, and it needed to be right now. And that's when I heard my father's voice. What a waste. A waste of talent, money, time, intellect, a waste of a life. But by now, I know this voice isn't the truth. I know that no matter what happens with Jackson, it isn't a waste. It is an investment. An investment in Jackson and an investment in the kingdom. Is it hard? Absolutely. The time and money alone are big deals, not to mention the cost of loving and caring about him and letting him into my life. Would he appreciate the sacrifices I was making for him? Probably not. I know I didn't for a long time. Would he break my heart? Most likely, at least a time or two. I know I did a few times along the way, but that didn't stop people from continuing to love me and point me to Jesus. Would Jackson change his life and become a devoted disciple? With everything in me, I hope so. But there are no guarantees. Is it worth it? My father says I am crazy. Jackson says today was the best day of his life. I say my father's right. I am crazy. And today was totally worth it. Then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? For our communion time this morning, I want to go back to that question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am. That's the question I want you to think about as we take communion this morning. Who do you say he is? Is he the Messiah? Is he God's son? Do you know him? Do you know the real Jesus of the Bible? Or have you made a Jesus that you want to worship? It's an important question. If you don't know the answer to that question and you need some help working through that, any of us would be happy to talk with you and help you figure that out. And if you decide you don't know him, we would be happy to help you get to know him. So let's spend our communion time celebrating what Jesus has given us and worshiping him. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that as we read through Luke and we read the stories you told and that were told about you, that we can formulate stories and images that will help us to understand your message. God, help us to understand what it looks like to let you have our lives, basically to lose our lives to you so that you can save it. God, show us that what we look at as sacrifices are not big sacrifices 
for what we get from you in return. You led us in this direction. You showed us what it looks like to love other people and to love them well. And I pray, God, that we'll choose every day to get up and execute self that tells us we should live for ourselves to get all we need, to get what's ours, to be number one, that we would put that to death and that we would choose to live for you no matter what that looks like. And God, I pray that as we take communion this morning, we'll think about who do we really say you are? Who does our life really say you are? And God, I pray that you would bring conviction to any of us that need to be convicted about that. And God, I pray that there will be great rejoicing and praise um, over what Jesus has done for us and the opportunity that we have to live for him in return. We love you a lot, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.